You're listening to Identity Revolution, a podcast from the consumer identity management experts at Infutor Data Solutions. In each episode, we invite industry leaders for data-driven discussions on all things marketing, analytics, and identity. Join us as we take a deep dive into industry trends, strategies, and the future of data technology. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of Identity Revolution. And today we have from Clear Capital, Keenan Chen. Keenan, how are you today? Hey, Fred. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to have this discussion. I'm really fascinated by the mortgage industry, all the changes over the recent years and, and the fluctuations in the market. I'm really looking forward to discussing more in depth about the industry specifically in your background. But before we get started, let's get a little bit of, let the audience know a little bit more about you. Could you provide us a little bit of background on yourself and what you're up to right now? Sure. Well, I got into this crazy industry about 18 years ago. I am currently the executive vice president of corporate strategy for Clear Capital. And my background is actually in technology and started doing, you know, web development out of school and rode the crazy dot com wave in San Francisco, building a number of of dot com sites and web applications. And there I actually met the founders of Clear Capital actually introduced them to each other just by a random golf game where a friend of a friend introduced me to Dwayne Andrews, our CEO, who had the idea for ariannetwork.com, which is a site that connected real estate brokers with asset managers looking to list bank-owned properties. And so got a phone call a few years later about Clear Capital starting up and and knowing the integrity of the people, <laughs> knowing what sort of guys that the founders were. I was like, sure, I'll come up. And also it was being started up in Lake Tahoe, which is not a bad place to hang out and no doubt and get some snowboarding into. Yeah. So here we are, like I said, 18 years later, we're a privately held company, 750 employees, the largest independent valuation company in the industry. And just, you know, continuing to get the opportunity to solve some meaningful problems. How has your background been able to help you drive success in your current role today? Well, I think I really grew up, if you will, through the growth of a few different companies, but starting as an individual technology person and then learning how to really apply that to solve worthwhile problems. One thing I hated about being a part of the dot-com industry there in the early 2000s was that it didn't really seem to have a soul, if you will, like meaning we're really focused on advertising and clicks and things, but not really providing value. So I think a lot of my journey has been searching for ways to add real value. Yep, technology is a tool to do that, but that drove me into product and leading product into embracing data science and, and analytics and the power of what that brings. But then stitching that all together with an understanding of industry relationships and how things affect people. So yeah, I think that's what led me to kind of the diverse role I have now. Mm -hmm. So Clear Capital serves the mortgage and lending industries, offering clients intelligent valuation solutions for properties nationwide. The next set of questions I want to focus on that mortgage industry, specifically, how has COVID affected the mortgage industry, you know, the greater housing industry? And you feel these changes, if any, will have lasting ramifications? Well, COVID, you know, for a number of industries, COVID has had massive impacts and it's caused companies to really have to innovate because of the different constraints that we're 
created because of COVID. For us, you know, a lot of what we do is sending people out to homes to collect data about that so that it can be used in the analysis of that property and determining the value of that property. And of course, one of the first things that happened with COVID is the need to socially distance and having a stranger come into your home as a, a homeowner wanting to get a refi, you don't want to let in a stranger into your home. And appraisers also don't want to go into homes of strangers. So one of the things that we did was quickly figure out how do we still enable quality data collection to happen at that property without people having to be in the same room. So we built a web app that allowed the homeowner to provide you know data on their home seamlessly to the appraiser and to other organizations. But it's that type of thing. Of course, I think 20 other organizations created a similar tool. So COVID accelerated in a way the digitization of the process for what was of some areas that were pretty manual. And I think that's pretty widespread across the board. I know that's for title, for closings. There's a great push for digital closings and the digital mortgage as well. So a lot of our listeners are, you know, obviously not experts in this specific industry. I know this question has been asked quite a bit. How and why have interest rates remained this low for such a long time? I mean, I, my father can recall him telling me that interest rates in the late 70s were double digits. And now they seem to be for a significant amount of time, pretty low for at least the last few years has been low, below 5%, I believe. Mm-hmm. What are the reasons for this? And do you feel that it's going to be this way for the foreseeable future? Yeah, well, I mean, of course, over the past year, a lot of it is is due to COVID, due to the uncertainty in, in not only our market, but in the global market. And then, of course, folks like the Fed works to keep rates, interest rates low. And the mortgage rates tend to follow the 10-year rates. And so, yeah, we've seen it, seen them stay considerably and consistently low I think the forecasts are for 2021 that that we will start to see them rise again. That forecasts are anywhere from to go back up to 3.4 to 4% by end of the year. But we'll see. I mean, forecasts haven't been very accurate lately. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. But the one thing that it's sort of the perfect storm in a way, there were over 8 million loans originated in 2020. And while most of those were refinances, people taking advantage of those low rates, there was also a lot of demand for purchases too. I mean, the movement from people moving out from rentals in the city to try to get out and buy single family houses where they have a little bit more space, the trends of being able to work remotely that lets people live in different places that maybe they wouldn't have if they were commuting, all of those add to this demand for loans. And then since housing supply has been behind for a long time, the amount of housing inventory actually available, that's what's been keeping home prices propped up and even increasing. So it'll be interesting to see where we go over the next year. And when inflation occurs, and I think it's almost inevitable just with COVID and just as more money enters the marketplace, at what point will rates have a serious effect on the housing market? Do you predict like if it gets up to five or six, will that eventually have a negative impact on the housing market? Or do you foresee potentially, even if they do go up, that the housing market will still remain strong? Well, like I said, the, the, the housing supply is still really far behind demand. And so we're looking at a number of years 
in which the inventory is not going to grow in a way that would really impact the strength of home prices. Now, there's some factors that, of course, we're all looking at, things like the number of loans right now in forbearance, again, due to COVID with an unfortunate number of of folks out of work. There's a number of loans that are in default or, or in forbearance. And it's really policy that is from the Biden administration and the GSEs that are holding back those properties from going into foreclosure. I think just this week, the foreclosure moratorium just got extended to the end of June. So that's a big factor, right? Are those foreclosures really going to happen at some point? How do they enter the market? And I see that as a potential impact to home prices. But if it's just about supply and demand, it really looks like we're not in a inflated bubble. Great. Let's go back to the uh, analytics space with some questions. What are the most disruptive shifts you've seen or you're seeing today in the data and analytics space right now? Yeah, I mean, really the use of the AI and machine learning in the mortgage space is certainly one of the top trends from a technology standpoint. I think Fannie Mae just put out their technology survey and AI and, and machine learning were really on the top of the list for lenders as thinking this is something that could really help the industry. From our standpoint for valuation, one of the main products that uses this for us is the automated valuation model, which is an alternative to a human appraiser going out and putting a value on a home. We're using machine learning to predict the value of a home by connecting to it big data to a number of different sources. And it's interesting that right now there's a conversation around, is there racial bias in the housing process, in the appraisal process? And could a potential solution for either unconscious bias or even explicit bias by introducing other methods of providing some checks and balances, one of those being automated valuation using machine learning, because perhaps the computer models aren't seeing, don't have the same sort of bias built in that we're seeing potentially from humans. So mm-hmm. it's a really interesting dialogue going on right now to see how we can rely on these other methods to improve the accuracy and consistency of home valuation. Yeah, at Infratura, we're seeing a rapid shift in companies establishing strong data science strategies. How do you see this continuing to evolve in 2021? It's really key, I think, to any company's success, especially a solution company trying to solve large industry problems. We've invested very heavily in our data science teams. We recently hired a new chief data scientist with a really strong background in things like computer vision and and machine learning. We all know that when we shop for homes, right, what's the thing that we focus on the most? It's the photos. So there's a lot of, a lot to be gained in using techniques like computer vision to understand characteristics of a home through available photos and having that drive different capabilities. So yeah, I I think it's absolutely crucial part of solving problems within our space. How do you see data and technology changing or improving as we've entered 2021 and beyond? Well, it's going to continue to accelerate, but I think there's a need for not only for more accurate data and more complete data sets, but also I think there's a growing conversation around the rights to use that data and how that data was collected. Is it ethically sourced so that the models that are relying on it, right, can be trusted, can be verified, and ultimately can be used widespread. So I think that's, I think there's, of course, 
a lot of capabilities being created and for even better analytics. But really, it gets back to where did the data come from? Was the correct usage rights really achieved to be able to use that data downstream? Mm-hmm. What are you most excited about in the future? What are the things that really get you excited and passionate about this space? I'm very excited right now on the intersection of social awareness and putting people first. I talked earlier about there not being a soul, perhaps, in the early dot-com fury. But over the past year, as, as tough as 2020 was, it really did open our eyes to the fact that there's more at stake here than just building things because we can. There's now a question of building things because we should, and then who does that really impact? And in our industry, I think this conversation around diversity and inclusion, around removing bias from the system, but also improving the accuracy of these major financial decisions and reducing risk for the whole U.S. financial system downstream. Like It's possible right now that all parties can win, that everyone involved in this can win. Homeowners can win, lenders can be more efficient, and investors can make loan purchases with less risk. That's a pretty cool thing. And we've found ourselves kind of at the center of it and see that as an enormous responsibility, but also a super worthwhile challenge to do things that actually improve lives and as opposed to just trying to make money. Let's start with some of your favorite resources. What's your favorite online resource that you buy upon to keep up to speed with what's happening in your space? Oh, that's a good question. I'll give a shout out to Housing Wire and and they have a number of sub brands like Finledger and things. But also there's some really great industry sort of networking groups that have spun up and I think accelerated during COVID. Since we can't get together in person right now, people are doing a really great job of using other means to network and connect. Geek Estate is one of those tools I'm a part of that that I think facilitates really good conversation, right? Not just content, but conversation. Clubhouse has been a kind of a fun app that Mm -hmm. just started getting involved with. So yeah, I think COVID has spawned some pretty cool creative ways to connect around the industry. What are you reading today? What are some of the books that have made a difference for you in the past five years? Or are you more just focused on online resources? Love to hear a little bit about what books you would recommend to the audience. I guess I'll recommend a pretty meaty one right now that I've been reading, which is called The Color of Law. And for me, if I'm going to talk about how we're impacting things like like bias and thinking about the housing market and how we can ensure that there's fairness in the system, I just need to make sure I'm educated right, on how we got to where we are. Why is the housing market the way it is? Why do some neighborhoods perform very different when it comes to valuation? So yeah, Richard Rothstein, The Color of Law, it's pretty much a definitive case to be made on how government policy has shaped neighborhood value. Great. How about any other recommendations as far as TV, movies, Netflix, whatever you feel doesn't have to necessarily even be in the business world? Just what have you been watching that you found interesting that you think the audience might like to take a look at? (laughs) Man, when I have time to watch TV. It's usually the food channel. (laughs) That's what happens when you get sheltered in place and you're not allowed to go to restaurants. When they're shut down, you start dreaming about 
<laughs> all the restaurants you wish you could go to. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm here in the Bay Area and San Francisco. And yeah, due to COVID, we've been pretty shut down. And it's, man, it's been rough on restaurants. So I'm looking forward to helping the community <laughs> however I can. <laughs> Great advice. Where can our audience go to learn more about you? Well, you can find more about me on LinkedIn. So I'm easy to find. I'm the only Keenan Chen out there and I try to keep it that way. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, I, I try to keep pretty active on LinkedIn. You can also go to clearcapital.com slash Keenan Chen to see what I'm up to in terms of where I'm speaking or what, what articles I'm contributing to. So, yeah. Great. One more quick question I had, and this is again, a little bit more of a personal nature for those people who are frustrated who live, I live in Chicago, obviously, and, and property values are pretty high, obviously nowhere near San Francisco, mm. but where are these markets that you see that are really kind of emerging in terms of getting a really nice combination of food, culture, Outside of the big cities, New York, Chicago, obviously Los Angeles and San Francisco, where would you recommend if you had someone saying, I want to find a place where I can get some, at least some bang for my buck in terms of housing, but still enjoy a, a very interesting urban or you know city life, kind of that mixture. Yeah. And this is going to sound self-serving, but I'm actually genuinely answering this question. Reno, Nevada. Mm which is where our headquarters is. So I know it sounds self-serving, but <laughs> Reno is one of those cities. And I'll tell you why it's 30 minutes outside of Lake Tahoe. So, which is one of the most beautiful places in the country, but it's in Nevada. And so it's much more affordable to live. Reno is one of those eclectic places that's been changing quite a bit over the past 10 years, especially with the influx of Tesla, Google, Amazon, Apple, all building facilities in around the Reno area. They've kind of welcomed in companies with open arms, but it's created a pretty hip community. A lot of folks streaming in from California and other places. So a lot of cool restaurants are popping up and things like that. So it's crazy right there in terms of the real estate market. I think it's really difficult to find competitive, right? To find properties. But yeah, and that just happens to be where our our headquarters is. We got about 300 employees there. I never encourage gambling, but I am curious then. <laughs> what are the other two locations in the United States that if today I asked you, what's going to have the greatest property increase in the next five or 10 years outside of Reno? What are the other two locations that you would say, hey, I see a considerable property valuations uh, increase? Right now, I think I was seeing LinkedIn shows like the, the greatest number of kind of relocations being poured into Austin, Texas. I mean, Texas is still seeing a huge influx. And of course, Texas is going through a pretty difficult time right now mm -hmm. with the weather and power. But really, just the growth rate of Boston and Dallas and others is pretty incredible. Yeah, with their friendliness to business too, I think that that's going to continue. I would pick two cities in Texas as a pretty good bet. Great. Thank you so much, Keenan, for taking the time to chat with us today. I really enjoyed this conversation. I wish all the best of luck to you and Clear Capital. And I know that the company is going to do extremely well in the coming years. And is there anything else that you'd like to pass on? Oh, one more bit of advice from you. For anyone who's just starting out in the business world, what's the best piece of advice that you could give to someone who's listening to this today in terms of getting ahead in the business world? 
I think it's do the most you can with what you've been given now. It's kind of like don't despise small beginnings, but whatever opportunities you have, they might not be the ones you would have chosen. But if you really make the most of it and, and try to add value and make an impact, it always leads to better things. And it always leads to unexpected paths that might even be better than what you would have sought out. So yeah, do the most you can with what you got. Great. Keenan, thank you again. Wish you the best and have a fantastic weekend. Thanks for joining the latest episode of Identity Revolution. Thanks, Fred. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to Identity Revolution. For more data-driven discussion, subscribe to Identity Revolution on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And for more on how Infutor can improve your data strategy across your entire enterprise, visit infutor.com.